Welcome to Awakened Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. Today we are studying out of Psalm 51, verse 12, a very familiar scripture to many, where David has sinned before the Lord. He does this incredible prayer of forgiveness, of cleansing, of being restored. And in verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Today we're going to talk about reasons why so many people lose their joy. We're going to talk about how to get joy back into your life. I'm calling today When Joy Returns. I hope you'll study along with us as we go from Psalm 51 over to the book of James and we learn how to restore joy into our lives. Let's go to Psalm chapter 51, verse number 12 this morning. I hope you were able to be with us last night. If you weren't, you missed a wonderful evening. We had such a great time, and uh, I don't know if I have laughed so hard ever in my life. And uh, our brother Mickey Bell came up from Alabama, drove home last night, but he was hilarious. And of course, our friend Jason Crabb stayed over last night, and he's going to be preaching at the 11 o'clock service. So we're going to have just a small one-week interruption into our spiritual gifts uh, assessments. Uh, as you know, we are in a series on spiritual gifts, and we're just going to take a, a week here since, uh, since Jason will be our guest for the 11 o'clock then we'll be back on track next week with the spiritual gifts. If you have yet to take our spiritual gift assessment, please do so. It's on our website, preachingchristchurch.com. It's right on the home page. You can take it. Uh, I've lost count. I've, I've not looked the last couple of days, but the last we looked, uh, over 70 spiritual gift tests came in last week alone. And, um, and I believe that there's more, but I don't know how many more. So people are taking it and submitting it. Please make sure that you take yours. Again, go to preachingchristchurch.com. Take the spiritual gift assessment. And uh, last the, two weeks ago, we talked about the grace of spiritual gifts, 2 Corinthians 12, 1, 2, and 3. Last week, we talked about the source of of spiritual gifts, verses 4, 5, and 6. And then next Sunday, we'll be in verse 7 alone, and we'll be talking about the purpose of the spiritual gifts. So I hope you'll join us for that. Today, we'll just have a standalone sermon, but one that God has been placing upon my heart. Psalm chapter 51, verse 12. I want to talk to you today, a sermon I'm calling, When Joy returns. When joy returns. Psalm 51 verse 12. A very simple verse to quote, a very simple verse to recite, but a great deal of complexity in the backstory of what leads us to this verse. David writes, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. 
I've grown up in church hearing that phrase, restore to me the joy of your salvation. What a beautiful phrase it is. But I want to talk about what led up to David praying this great prayer. It's a good prayer for you to pray, a great prayer for me to pray. You know, there are many Christians right now today that they have absolutely lost their joy. They're chasing things, they're chasing happiness, they're chasing whatever will fulfill them, and what they are completely missing out on is that beautiful, incredible fruit of the Holy Spirit called the fruit of joy. Joy is something that God produces in our life. Joy is something that ought to grow as the years progress. We ought to be abundant in joy. And today, if you are not a joyful person, I want to make a suggestion to you. I want you to take inventory of your life. You know, we've been doing that the last few months as we've talked about spiritual growth and now we're into spiritual gifts. So often we don't take inventory of our life and because of that, we don't realize why we are where we currently are spiritually and in life. We don't realize what led us to where we are. But the Bible helps us in these matters. I assure you that the one thing that Satan desires to steal from you, the one thing that Satan desires to rob from you, the one thing that Satan wants to take out of your life, Christian, is your joy. And David lost his joy. David lost his joy when David got too comfortable. David lost his joy when he relaxed. You know, the Bible says in the book of Amos, Woe unto those who are at ease in Zion. Do you realize God does not want you to be comfortable? Do you ever think about that? We work so hard to get comfortable, don't we? But yet the Lord doesn't want us to be comfortable. The Lord always wants us to be straining toward the prize that is ahead of us, right? Philippians. Isn't that what Paul wrote? I believe chapter 2. We are to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. That word press means to strain. It's the image of a runner who is straining toward the finish line. It means literally to strain every muscle of your body. It is to press toward. That doesn't sound like eating Cheetos on the couch, does it? But how many of us, if you took inventory of our prayer life, if you took inventory of our worship life, if you took inventory of our giving life, if you took inventory of our serving life, how many of us would have to say we're pretty much munching on Cheetos? And we're not straining toward the mark. God never intends us to get comfortable. And David got comfortable. When David got to the pinnacle of his power, when David reached the summit of his kingship, David fell in a horrible way. You know, if you do much reading about people and teams that climb Mount Everest, 
very fascinating. You can Google how many people have died attempting to climb. But what is very fascinating is do you know the most dangerous, treacherous part of climbing Mount Everest? It's not the way up. It's the way down. Because once you reach the summit, for the few who do, and once you reach the pinnacle, do you know what happens? They get comfortable. They tend to get a bit lazy than what it was reaching the summit. So it is in our lives. So it is spiritually. Once you reach a summit, be careful. Danger lurks. The way down is more treacherous than the way up. David had reached the pinnacle of his kingship. And many of you know this story, but I'll just share it briefly. David, rather than being at war, rather than being with his men, rather than being on the battlefield, and God's called us all to the battlefield, hasn't he? Makes me think of that old song, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. I'll serve him till I die. I promised him I'd serve him till I die. I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. I love that old song. Rather than being on the battlefield, rather than being with his men, rather than being at war, David was at home. He was on top of the palace. And he sees a breathtaking woman bathing. And he desires her. Oddly enough, her name is Bathsheba. David inquires of her. David invites her to the palace. David has an affair with her. David knows that he's wrong. And to cover it up, he brings her husband home from war. He thinks, well, I'll give him a night with his wife. And by this time, Bathsheba knows that she's pregnant. He thinks, I'll give him a night with his wife. He'll think the baby's his, and I'm in the clear. Well, the man is so loyal to King David, he refuses to go home to his wife. It's wartime. He's a soldier. He refuses to go home to the company of his wife and instead sleeps at the palace with the king. David says, okay, this problem is not going to go away so easily. So David orders him to be taken to the front lines of the war, knowing that he would be killed in action. And sure enough, that's what happened. David thinks that he's gotten away with this. David, at this point, is quite arrogant. The man who had a heart after God's own heart. The shepherd boy who said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The, the man who refused to retaliate against King Saul, the man who did everything right. He's now misstepped in a great way. It takes a prophet named Nathan to come to David. And you remember what David was before he was king? He was a shepherd boy, wasn't he? And Nathan tells the king a story. He tells the king about a man who took a sheep and killed the sheep, stole the sheep. Well, that pulled at the 
shepherd heartstrings of the mighty king. And David, infuriated, said, where is this man? Bring him to me. He'll be brought to justice at once. And that prophet with the spine of steel told the king, thou art the man. Could you imagine being part of that conversation? And this is what leads us to Psalm 51. David recognizes his sin. David recognizes how horribly he has misstepped. But see, the damage is done now. and The sword will never leave David's family. But David, in his repentance, David calling out to the Lord... David knew what to do. He prayed, God, cleanse me. Renew me. Give me a right spirit within me. And then he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore. In other words, it's been broken. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know, it's interesting. It was that great pastor in Berlin, Germany during the Nazi era, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who so masterfully said, temptation does not cause you to be hostile at God. Temptation causes you to forget God. Do you remember what happened when Joseph was tempted down in Egypt in Genesis? Potiphar's wife makes an advancement toward him And Joseph, who really, I mean, what did he have to lose? He's in a foreign land. No roots, no family, no accountability. His life, he lives as a slave for crying out loud. Everything stripped from him. What does he have to lose? But what did Joseph say? Joseph never forgot God. Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness against Potiphar and in the eyes of God? See, Joseph knew, even down in Egypt, Joseph knew the eyes of the Lord were upon him. What about us and our temptations? What about us and the choices that we face in life? Right now, in the decisions you're making, are you remembering God as Joseph did? Or are you forgetting God as David did? Remember, temptation does not make you angry at God. Temptation doesn't make you hostile toward God. Temptation simply makes you forget God. And how easy that is to do. As I counsel with so many people and as I pray with So many people. You know what? The number one reason that Christians, we lose our joy, it's because sin has crept into our lives. Nothing will steal your joy. Nothing will rob the fruit of your joy more than sin in your life. And let me tell you, sin comes in so many different ways, so many different forms. It doesn't take much, does it? As a matter of fact, in the book of James, in chapter 1, James talks about 
having excessive sin in our life. I grew up on the old King James Bible. Anybody grew up on the King James? The old King James calls it superfluity of naughtiness. I used to scratch my head on that one, saying, what's a superfluity of naughtiness? In the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, the actual word picture of excessive sin or a superfluity of naughtiness, the actual word picture there is of a garden that's overgrown with weeds. Anyone maintain a garden? No one. Wow, okay. (laughs) For real, does anybody have a garden? (coughs) Excuse me, a couple? few. How many of you know how much work it takes to maintain a garden? But how much work does it take to grow weeds? Nothing. Do weeds not just simply grow on their own? And if you don't pay attention to it and you're not diligent about it, what happens to that garden? It gets overgrown with weeds. In other words, excessive Weeds, in other words, superfluity of naughtiness. And what the Bible is picturing is that our life, rather than bearing the precious fruits of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, we're rampant, we're overran with excessive bad attitudes, excessive temptations, excessive sins, excessive fill-in-the-blank. So when Christians wonder, well, why am I not more happy? Why am I not more joyful? Could it be that the decisions you're making right now? Could it be that some of the decisions that you've made in the past that you've never shut the door on? You've never closed that door entirely? Could it be that that's why you don't have joy today? David had to humble himself after making some of the most horrendous mistakes a human being can make. David had to humble himself and say, God, cleanse me. Put a, put, a, put a right spirit within me and restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation. We talked Tuesday night at prayer meeting. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Scripture says that if... A brother is caught. If anyone is caught in any transgression, it tells us how to handle that transgression. How many of you know that as as humans, we're so flawed, are we not? We're so prone to fall. We're so prone to mess up. We're so prone to sin. And Paul tells the Galatian church, if anyone is caught... In any transgression, you know, I like, I like that he says caught because when is it that so many of us actually repent after we're caught? Is that, is that right or is that wrong? And, and so the Bible just, I mean, it addresses the reality of this and says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, and I love the fact that he said any. Because let me tell you, there are many snares, are there not? There are many temptations, many sins. And he says, if anyone is called in any transgression, then how is it to be handled? Is it to be, you kicked out of the church? 
Our brother Mickey shared last night. What a powerful testimony. And how his church turned their back on him. He shared how one of his staff pastors called him and said, we think it's best that you just disappear. Is that how we are to restore a brother that has fallen? A brother that's called in a trend? Is that how we are to restore people? No. But, but you know, we make another extreme. Not only do we so often kick people while they're down... But we make another mistake. Either we're on that side of the ditch to where we're passing judgment. And that's what Paul's going to tell us. Lest you too be tempted. Look at verse 2. Galatians 6. But not only do we make that mistake that we kick someone while they're down. But, or we make the other mistake, the other side of the ditch. And we just sweep it under the rug and we ignore it. And that's just as unhealthy. So how should we... Restore, what, what do we say? Restore the joy of your salvation. How are we to restore people? Galatians 6 1. He says, But you who are spiritual, <laughs> restore the brother. Do you know what the literal language in the Greek there is? The literal word picture? It's to restore a broken bone. And what happens when you break an arm? Anyone ever broken an arm before? I've been fortunate. I broke little bones, but never broke an arm before. My mom, a few years ago, took a piper skating for her birthday, and another little girl came flying past my mom, clipped her skates, and she both feet went in the air, and she broke her tailbone and broke her arm right here. The bone, you could see where the bone was up. Had to take her to the ER. And what, what, what did they have to do to that bone? Could she ignore it and say, ah, it'll fall back in place? Bones don't fall back in place, do they? What, 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 what's going to have to happen? That physician had to come in there. And he had to do the very painful process of what? Resetting the broken bone. See, that's what I try to do when I counsel marriages. Marriages that are broken. Marriages where trust is broken. Marriages where communication is broken. And expectations are broken. And just whole thing's broken. You know what we have to do? We have to do that painful process of setting the broken bone. And that hurts. That don't feel good. But once that bone is set, then what do you have to do? Do you go right back to full mobility? No. You cast it. And once that bone is set, once that bone is cast, then you let it heal. And then even once it heals, once that cast comes off, do you again go back to full mobility? No. You let it heal some more. Relationships are the same. Some of you have broken relationships with sisters, with brothers, with children, with parents. With other family, friend? No, you, to restore, you have to set the bone. And you got to cast the bone. you got to let it heal. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. Re, you who are spiritual, restore those who have fallen. And let me tell you, there are many believers right now, many, many believers that are very broken. And do you know why they're broken? 
is because there's an excessiveness of sin. Their lives are like a garden that rather than producing the fruits of the Holy Spirit, it's producing excessive weeds. Does that make sense to you? So when David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let me tell you, my friend, there's nothing sweeter than when a Christian is truly forgiven and they begin to live like they are forgiven. Then you know what happens? Joy comes back into your life. Today, if there's not joy, will you take inventory? Is there sin? Is there rampant, excessive weeds growing out of your life, growing out of your attitude, growing out of your mentality, growing out of your emotions? That might be why there's not the fruit of joy. So let's ask the Lord this morning to come and help us shine the light on that. Reveal what we need to begin to pluck out of our life. And you know, there's some of us that we may just need to take a week or two and just start pulling weeds of sin. (laughs) Weeds of past abuses. Weeds of past disappointments. Weeds of bad decisions today. Let's begin to pull those, uproot those up out of our lives. Why? So that the fruit of joy might grow in abundance in us. If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakenedtograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awakened to Grace.